I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turned All right, let me pick up what was read for us in verse uh, verse uh I can tell what verse it is on my, uh, uh, verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I thought I had the uh, sermon written and ready to go yesterday. So I came out from the home office and joined my wife who was watching a uh, movie, an old movie on television. How many of you enjoy Steel Magnolias? All the ladies in the room. (laughs) And and as she was watching that film on the television, uh, the Dolly Parton character says, God don't care what church you go to as long as you go. And I thought, eh, not all churches are equal. And then this morning I get up and I I read on Twitter, so I know it's true, that 70% of people who claim to be Christian believe that other religions will get you to God. And so I realize that separate is not always equal. We recently celebrated the MLK holiday, and many of you are intimately familiar with Brown versus Board of Education, where it was proposed that we can have separate schools and they will be equal. And to this day, we would say we have separate religions, separate denominations, and Dolly and I don't even know what her character's name was in the movie, and Twitter said, well, but they're all equal. But that's not what Paul says in today's text. I wonder, what makes a recipe unique? In episode 15 of season 2 of Everybody Loves Raymond... Deborah asked for the recipe to her mother-in-law's spaghetti and meatballs in an attempt to please her husband. And so her mother-in-law, Marie, brings over a box of ingredients and coaches Deborah through the whole process. But Raymond notices there's something different about these meatballs. 
These meatballs are not Marie's meatballs. Well, come to find out, Marie had pasted a fake label and she tried to pass off to her daughter-in-law, tarragon, as being basil. One little substitute. And Deborah's meatballs were not the same as Marie's meatballs. I guarantee that recipes are unique. And if you ever receive a recipe from my wife, except for her pecan pie or peanut brittle, which are out of this world, it will be a nuts-optional recipe. Because there are all sorts of recipes, but mom's cooking is unique. And Paul is saying to us today, there are lots of religions, there are lots of false gospels, but the gospel that comes from God is unique. In today's text, we actually find that there was a a group of false teachers who had messed with the Apostle Paul's recipe. And the product that was now being produced was not equal to the original product. Just as Deborah found out that the false ingredient did not produce a product pleasing to her husband, Paul says that a false gospel does not please God. And my friend, pleasing God is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. We first see in verse 6, that uninformed disciples may desert to a different gospel. This is desert as in go away, not as in desert. I want a second, please. Uninformed disciples may desert to a different gospel. Last week, I listed for you five gospels that some claim belong to the Christian church. Perhaps some of the 70% I read about on Twitter this morning. They believe that the Christian message is one of comfort, convenience, currency, control, or culture. And this week in the text in front of us, Paul clarifies that False gospels have consequences. Consequences for the listener, consequences for the speaker, and consequences for God himself. Because the desertion from the true gospel can actually happen quite quickly. Sometimes it is a slow fade, and other times it happens abruptly. Paul seems to be aghast that so quickly they had left his recipe and embraced another. You know, brownies or banana bread with nuts may not be your preference. But they are not Ann's brownies or banana bread. And meatballs with tarragon may be good, but they were not Marie's meatballs. And a gospel of grace plus works is not the true gospel. 
described in the first five verses of this chapter. There may be many, many reasons to move toward another gospel, but the movement toward another gospel takes you away from the true gospel that was willed by God and accomplished by Christ. We live in an era where spiritual frequently gets confused with Christian. And inclusive spirituality, or a, this is just one of many gospels, is not what Christ's death grants to sinners who repent. We cannot add to the gospel, or it becomes a different gospel, and we must not desert to a different gospel. As I thought about recipes, I began to ask myself, when is a pizza no longer a pizza? What is the item that some people put on pizza that no longer makes it an acceptable pie? Pineapple? Salty fish? In New York, they call a big flat triangles pizza. In Chicago, pizza is one to two inches thick with the sauce on top and melted cheese that spreads all over your plate when it is served. When is a pizza no longer a pizza? My friends, ketchup on a cracker is not pizza. No matter what the Lunchable people want you to believe. For a season, my sister sold Pampered Chef products. And one of the items was demonstrated by preparing a fruit pizza. Now, don't get me wrong. I love sugar cookie dough covered in sweetened cream cheese, covered by sliced fruit. But that ain't pizza. And just because someone calls it something does not mean that's what it is. Paul says that the Galatians had quickly embraced something that is not the true gospel. How can believers desert to a different gospel so quickly? See, Paul doesn't only express disappointment in desert in those who desert, but Paul also expresses disappointment that fake evangelists will disturb believers with distortions of the truth. I put the D and the D in there simply because it's easy to remember, but depending upon your translation of the scriptures, you may see that there are those who trouble you by distorting the gospel. Or if you carry a New American Standard, it says there are those who disturb you by distorting the gospel. If you have a New International Version in front of you, it probably says, there are those who confuse you by perverting the gospel. I know a few of you carry the New Living Translations, which says, there are people who have fooled you by deliberately twisting the gospel. And I do know that we have some King James purists, and so your Bible says there are those who cause you trouble by perverting the gospel. 
No matter which word you use, there are some people who will twist the truth that comes from God in such a way that it creates a disequilibrium within you. Something doesn't seem quite right, but maybe this is better. Satan did that in conversation with Eve. So Eve began to doubt. She was disturbed. And she began to doubt that God was truly good when the serpent twisted his instructions to them. There are fake evangelists who intentionally distort, which causes disturbance for us. I wonder how many of you, by show of hands, have ever had food poisoning? Not as many as steel magnolias, but those of you who have had it, I'm pretty confident saying you wish not to have it again. It's unlikely that the food that you ate tasted bad as you were eating. Or it may have seemed off, but somehow you continued to eat. Then after a little bit of time, you began to feel queasy. Then the longer that bacteria was within you, the more violent your body's response became. See, Eve did not spit out the fruit that had been misrepresented. She even passed it along to her son or to her husband. And the distortions by false teachers and false religions may not seem damaging, especially if these other preachers are are labeling something called blessing. Do this and you will be blessed. Or do this and you will appear to the world to be more tolerant. See, these distortions may not seem wrong, but indeed, according to Paul, they are bad food and they come from a dirty kitchen. Those who serve bad food deserve to be shut down until all the unhealthy stuff, even the unseen unhealthy stuff, can be removed. They have no business continuing with business as usual while distributing something that is unhealthy. And my friend, there are people in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of Christianity, in the name of God Almighty, who are distributing a corrupt product. By the same token, preachers or televangelists or churches or predatory ministries and false religions fully deserve to be labeled and consumers warned of the harm that their product produces. One of the examples of that is uh, a preacher by the name of Benny Hinn. You may have seen him on television. Benny's nephew is a man named Costi, C-O-S-T-I, and also his last name is Hinn. And Benny's nephew, Costi, says there is nothing good that comes out of Uncle Benny's mouth. 
I love him as a person, but his gospel is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is damaging to your health, your spiritual health, to listen to him. Sometimes we need to label the bad food or the dirty kitchen. Macy Harshman and I have had some great discussions as she plans music for our Youth 412 outreach. And she has increasingly discovered that music heard on the radio or at an event may not be biblically sound. Or even if a particular song may be truthful, it is performed by an artist or produced by a ministry that promotes an unbiblical gospel. The tacos may be good, but the burritos are dangerous. It's as if the food is produced in a dirty kitchen, and we must be alert to the danger. And Paul says to the Galatian readers, you need to be alert to the false gospel that has been declared to you. So how are we to reckon somebody who tolerates filth in their product? How are we to reckon somebody who tolerates filth in their process? Well, Paul says in verses 8 and 9 that these fake evangelists deserve God's curse. We tend to become accustomed to dirt and we treat it as less offensive. I recall the story of parents and pacifiers. The first child, when the pacifier gets dropped, immediately merits, it's got to be boiled to be sanitized. Uh, this, this pacifier's been on the ground. How dare it go into the mouth of my child? Then for the second child, the parent decides to wash off the passy before returning it to the child. The third child, he's lucky if dad wipes it off or mom blows the loose dirt off of the passy before giving it back. See, we've learned to tolerate. And I wonder how much false truth can you tolerate? How much false gospel do we tolerate. I don't know if you've ever had a picky eater. Our oldest developed an aversion to mushrooms. And over time, it became common practice just to tell her to, well, just pick them out or eat around them. And to this day, she'll have a pile of mushrooms on the corner of her plate if we go to a place that cooked with mushrooms. But in her mind, Mushrooms are accursed. And the the whole dish must be discarded if a mushroom has touched it. Which takes me to the subject of bacon. If you are eating at home and a piece of bacon falls off your cheeseburger and falls onto your plate, you probably wouldn't think twice about reclaiming that beautiful piece of smoked goodness. But what if that same piece of bacon missed your plate and fell on the table? At home, you'd probably still eat the bacon. What if that piece of bacon rolled off the plate, off the table, 
and onto the floor, but you picked it up within five seconds. Now, on the other hand, what if you are at Spangles, McDonald's, Casey's, and your bacon hits the floor, and you pick it up within five seconds? What if you're at a fine restaurant and the bacon falls as you are meeting your girlfriend's parents for the very first time? It would be uncouth to eat such a thing. You've got more good taste than to eat something that's been on the table, on the floor. See, the reality is, is sometimes we learn to tolerate things that ought to be destined for destruction. Any idea that imposes changes to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ must be disregarded like a piece of bacon on a truck stop bathroom floor. Now all of a sudden we're leaving the bacon, aren't we? And Paul says to those who pervert the gospel... It's truck stop bathroom floor. It's no longer an equal gospel. It's no longer a good gospel. Those are to be accursed. Which means to be set apart for destruction. But in verse 10 though, it goes on to provide a transition with the preachers of the false gospel to those who preach the true gospel our gospel will be shaped by the one that we seek to please. If you seek to please people, you will say what people want to hear. If you want to please God, you will say what God wants to hear. As a matter of fact, true apostles or ambassadors, the Bible uses both terms to describe those of us who are sent into the world, true ambassadors delight in God's approval. More than the attaboy, more than, man, you, you are such an amazing speaker. I, I could just listen to you every week. We need to delight in God's approval more than the approval of man. See, I can't promise you that my prayers are going to restore your health even though you may want to hear that. But I proclaim without reservation that God is causing all things to work for His definition of your good. I can't promise you that all the people who mistreat you will repent and apologize, even though you'd like to hear that said. It never happened that way for Jesus for Peter, for Paul, or many of the Old Testament prophets. Sometimes those who do right will be mistreated by others and they never will apologize for it. So I can't promise you that your health will be restored. I can't promise you that people who don't like you will apologize to you. I can't promise that if you place your trust in Christ, that you will suddenly get a six-figure job 
Or I can't promise you that the way that you vote will all of a sudden be the majority position in all elections. I can't promise you that my sermons are going to make you happy. But based on God's truth, they do lead to blessing. And because I am more concerned with God's approval, and I take delight in God's approval, I won't lie to you just so that your ears will be tickled. I will proclaim what I believe God wants you to know because His approval is most important to me. I will preach to you what I believe the Word of God says so that you can be blessed. Blessed is the man who his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the Lord's law he meditates day and night. You will be blessed if you delight in what the Lord delights in. What I can promise you is that delighting in God's approval is better than striving to please men. We see in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 16, better is a little with the fear of God than great treasure and the trouble that comes along with it. I direct you to Proverbs 16. Better to have a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. I can promise that the offer of Christ is better than any other gospel. Based on Hebrews chapter 8, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent as the old covenant. Because he, Jesus Christ, mediates a better covenant enacted on better promises. Paul expresses exasperation with the Galatian believers who had deserted to a non-gospel. And because they had deserted to a non-gospel, he once again is calling them to the true gospel. Calling cauliflower a steak doesn't make it meat. Substituting ingredients changes the product. And no matter how good the bacon is, if it's been on the bathroom floor, it is appointed for destruction. No matter how innocent false teachers may appear, if it changes the gospel, it is to be accursed and never tolerated. The gospel that we preach is that anyone who believes to trust in or to rely upon And calls upon, I admit my need for your forgiveness. Anyone who believes and calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel. Going under the water won't save you. Participating in sacraments won't save you. The words of the sinner's prayer won't save you. Walking down the aisle of a church or a revival tent won't save you. The gospel is that God graciously saves any who call upon him in faith. The proclamation that we believe the gospel is done by ordinances, prayer, and public testimony. 
Perhaps there are those in attendance here today who are being compelled by God's Spirit to proclaim their belief publicly. You are hearing the Spirit of God tell you to respond by telling this assembled body that you have accepted the gospel. You hear God telling you that you need to proclaim through the waters of baptism that you believe the gospel. Or you simply need to come to the altar in public declaration and pray silently for forgiveness of tolerating other gospels. The fear of man is what keeps people from responding to the invitation. But if you sense the Spirit of God inviting you to respond, to make your profession of the gospel public, I invite you to come as we sing the value that Jesus is more important